Few things are harder than the mission of raising your kids. At The Dad Project, we get experienced dads to reveal what's worked for them, offering practical, time-tested advice. Being a successful dad is tough, and we're here to help you get it done. Welcome to The Dad Project. This episode of The Dad Project is the first in a two-part series on the virtue of order. In part one, Kirby Fike discusses why order should matter to us as dads. Kirby is co-founder of The Dad Project. He and his wife have eight children. Okay, I wanted to start off with a quick quote. Life doesn't give us what we need. Life gives us what we deserve. So again, this talk is, this talk is about giving your kids a foundational wisdom that'll lead to personal happiness and professional success. I think a fascinating study is of the people that grew up in complete poverty and were able to make themselves enormous successes, specifically in the professional life and in family life. And I kind of have a term for that is the self-made man. Um, and I've been doing quite a bit of research on the self-made man, the original self-made men in American colonialism. Um, before I kind of get into that, specifically just kind of some you know definitions of a self-made man, someone that attains far greater success than his original circumstances would have indicated was possible, overcame great obstacles to achieve his goals, no matter what privilege or wealth he was born into, attained success through education, hard work, and responsibility. The self-made man is a story of manliness personified. So a lot of people would come back to like, okay, this is manliness, someone that has started from nothing and achieved his dreams and got to a place where he wanted to. Oftentimes it's associated with the American dream that people came to this country and they worked hard to get what they wanted. History has kind of shown like there've been a lot of stories on the self-made men, but if there's been a noticeable trend in modern times about the modern era, modern era has flipped its thinking on the self-made men, almost saying, you know, people can't be self-made anymore. It's more so about where they grew up or their quote-unquote privilege. Um, this is more of a focus on people that came from nothing and grew themselves something or grew up in a, in a great family but also achieved their dreams through hard work. So, but we'll get back to that, that um, coming back to that, how the modern era has kind of tried to flip that and say, okay, it's not about being self-made anymore. It's more about where you grew up that will, you know, how you will be attain your success. So, Back to this idea, the original self-made man. Who was the first? Well, I mean, there's some debate. Some debate. I mean, I think many people would argue, though, the first American self-made man is Benjamin Franklin. Um, just a little bit of context. He was one of 17, um, grew up in a very, very poor family. His family was only a able to educate him for two years because that's all his parents could afford. So from there, after he was done with those two years and found out, yeah, we can't afford that anymore... He basically just took up his education himself and became a ferocious reader. He just read everything he could, thinking through, okay, I'm going to just educate myself through reading. Franklin dedicated himself also to the life of virtue. Uh, he wrote down 13 different virtues that he felt were important and constantly came back to them to try to achieve them. He felt like if he could achieve these per virtues to perfection, he would have a happy life. We could go through many of those virtues to point out in this talk, but one I wanted to specifically bring out was the virtue of order. 
and I I want to bring up order specifically with with Franklin because order um, is a topic that comes about a lot of his writings. He felt temperance was his uh, his ideal, the first one you should start with. But I notice a trend in order. Is order is something that he constantly comes back to, saying, "Okay, I need this. I, this has to be done. Like order is essential to fulfill your dreams and for continued success." In this talk, I want to focus on bringing it down from there. From order is ordering your belongings and ordering your time. So here's the direct quote from Franklin ben, Benjamin Franklin: "Let all your things have their places. Let each part of your business have its time." Pretty simple. He felt order leads people to happiness, of mental happiness, of feeling, okay, I don't have to worry about things around me because everything's in its place. So specifically in terms of ordering your belongings, let's start there. We're talking about clutter, disorganization. But when people talk about clutter, disorganization, or just being messy, you'll notice some people will say, well, I'm just a messy person. That's just the way it is. Or I'm just a very clean person. And people go through life that way. It's more of a joke. Yeah, I'm just a messy person. But the question of this is, is it something that needs to get better for some people? Is it more of a serious problem? What does it mean to be a messy person? I've done some research on this. I've, there's been plenty of studies done on specifically psychologically what happens to someone in a messy room or a room with a lot of clutter. I'll take you through a couple of these. The first one I found was from Princeton University. The topic is clutter messes with your ability to process information, which is interesting. The researchers place some people in a clean environment and others in a disorganized environment. But then they then gave these groups basic tasks, measured brain waves, and monitored performance. Here's their findings. When your environment is cluttered, the chaos restricts your, your ability to focus. The clutter also limits your ability to process information. Clutter makes you distracted and unable to process information as well as you do in an uncluttered, organized, or serene environment. The clutter complete, competes with your attention in the same way a toddler might stand next to you annoyingly repeatedly saying, candy, candy, candy. Even though you might be able to focus a little, you're still aware that a screaming toddler is, is vying for your attention. The annoyance also wears you down, wears down your material resources, and, and more likely to have you become frustrated. The conclusions of this study were strong. If you want to focus to the best of your ability and process information as effectively as possible, you need to be clear of the clutter from your home from your home and your work environment. This research shows that you will be a little less irritable and more productive, distracted less often, and able to process information better with an uncluttered and organized home and office. So that was the first study. The second study I wanted to look at was specifically doesn't influence behavior in any way. So this study came from Cornell. So they specifically wanted to study did clutter lead to stress? And they found that it did. So how does how does a cluttered, chaotic environment, such as a messy, messy kitchen, influence uh, eating behavior? They gave 101, they, they took 101 graduate undergraduate students and it participated in the standard uh, kitchen conditions on one end. The other side was a chaotic kitchen condition. Participants were able to uh, were were also asked to recall and write about the time when they felt particularly out of control. Finally, participants were given cookies and other snacks. What they found was interesting. Participants in the chaotic kitchen were in an out of control mindset and and ate more cookies, almost three times as much. So it's interesting. So that they found in both of these studies was that 
in a cluttered environment, you're less likely to do tasks as, as efficiently. And also it can kind of lead you to an anxious mindset. So just taking these two scientific studies, I'm really thinking through this with my own children, like with your own kids, can you help them teach order in the home and order with their belongings so that they can, you can prepare them to be more successful in the educational environment and also just have them be happier people in your own life. Have you found, are your, is your kids disorganization causing them to be stressed or anxious? One thing we should, we should note too, is that your kids are brand new. Maybe they need to learn these things. Maybe they don't come as naturally. Um, in my case, I needed to learn, I needed to learn order myself. So the, my kids were just noticing, oh yeah, dad's got a messy environment. I can have a messy environment too. What are, some of the things that we've done in our home, um, is just very basic. Specifically, we start with our kids' rooms. Uh, when, when they get out of bed in the morning, the first thing we do is to tell them, we tell them to make their bed. Um, making their bed just helps everything be put back into place. It also helps them achieve something quickly at the beginning of the day. Lastly, uh, we have specific chore lists that they focus on on Saturdays. But one of the important things is before they leave their rooms in the mornings, we make sure that their rooms are clean. And before they go to bed at night, we make sure their rooms are clean. If they, di- if they can't hit that, then they lose specific privileges. Also, just closets, making sure that they're organized, things are put back in this, put to place. I've noticed with my own children that they just seem more calm when they, they walk into a clean environment. And I also, as a parent, when I tell them to clean their room, I always follow up and say, oh, you did an amazing job. Give them encouragement. But I also make sure I ask them the question, like, doesn't this just feel better being in a clean room? So that's order of belongings. So what else we can, what else can we apply order to? Specifically time. And I think this is a big one, specifically with your kids. Quote, if you don't plan your time, someone or something else will. I try to live my whole day by that. There was recently a, uh, an article that came out in the New York Times. thought it was pretty interesting. It was on executives in Silicon Valley, and they found that their nannies were having to sign uh, a no cell phone clause, which meant that when the nannies were with the, their kids, they couldn't, the nannies couldn't bring out a cell phone. And the article went in depth and found out that these executives don't want their kids knowing other people look at cell phones. And then it went more in depth and found that they're not allowing their kids to look at screens. Some of them, most of them until high school. Some went as far as to say that they only let them watch, you know, one movie a week as a family to look at the screen only during that time when they watch the movie with their, with their families. So I think this is interesting. People in Silicon Valley are going to the extremes of saying, okay, I don't even want my kids to look at screens. But really thinking deeply about it, what are we talking about? We're talking about screen addiction. They're worried about their own kids being addicted to screens. So video games, iPhones, TV. But what does that really break down to? Are these kids, um, what's the wor- what are we worried about here? And I think it really breaks down to just like, just the wasting of time. They're just looking at their time and they're saying, okay, I'm going to go start to watch TV or play this one video game. And then hours and hours and hours go by. And they realize they haven't done anything else but that. So really, it's coming back down to like a lack of order. Now, I think screens are a big deal and time is a big deal, especially specifically with the Internet and 
uh, TV or Netflix. You notice when you're watching a show, it just on Netflix and just spins the, into the next show. Um, you can spend a lot of time, and and all of a sudden, our devices are taking over our time. So what we have to think through, like, how are we teaching our kids to plan their day? What do we need to teach them? That their time is a valuable resource. It's it's probably the most valuable resource. Don't waste it. Learn to value time. What does it mean in your day to give an hour away to something useless? Plan your day. What's your day look like when you get home from school? You know, what's your day look like when you're on a Saturday? We do allow, allow screens in our house, but it is a limited time because I do figure I do feel like screens need to be taught within the home, but we, we set limits on them. And there's no arguing around it. If you're going to argue, if it's time, if your time is up with your screen and you argue with me, then you're going to lose privileges from there. I am not going to argue with my kids about their screen time. You know, helping them plan their time specifically with screens helps prep them for their future. So that's time, ordering of time and ordering of belongings. But I want to get back to specifically the self-made man and ordering of time and development of skills. So as I mentioned earlier in the talk, Back to the problem of the modern era. Why have people focused more on, you know, your environment or where you came from or how much money you came from as opposed to the pure, like, self-made, I'm going to hustle, I'm going to work hard, and I'm going to take uh, responsibility in my actions. I think it's mainly because people that grew up in this way, the self-made people, understand that their time is invaluable, but they also understand that like spending a little time each day on a skill helps them develop something very professional that they can take into their professional work. So how are skills developed? Specifically little by little every day. You know, it's it's around the new year. A lot of people about this time will go back to the gym. But one thing you understand about going to the gym is like you can go spend an hour in the gym, but you see no you see nothing change by yourself if you're trying to lose weight. You go back again, you go back again, you know, even after maybe a week or two, you see nothing change. But if you keep, if you forget about it and you go back for 30 minutes every day or an hour every day and you, and you don't think about it over three months, you're going to see change in yourself. And that's about the perseverance, but it's also about the order and your time of also dedicating to your schedule saying, okay, here's my time laid out. I've set my time to develop one skill and I'm going to put this small time every day to make it better. Now, if things encroach on that, technology or other things spiral out and, and cover that other, those, uh, that time you were going to spend with that skill, then you lose that time. So I think that the, just bringing it back to with our kids, we need to teach them that to plan out their day, but also understand like how valuable that time is to them so that they can develop that skill. And also everything can be in its place so that psychologically they can feel better, but then they also take that time to understand, okay, this is important. I'm not going to waste it. I'm not going to go over it, which will lead to uh, professional success and an overall happiness in their lives. Hey, thanks for listening to The Dad Project. If this talk was valuable to you, please go to our website at dadproject.net and make a voluntary one-time or recurring donation to help support our operations. Any amount helps. Catch you next time at The Dad Project.